We respectfully acknowledge the traditional owners of country throughout Australia where this podcast was recorded and recognise their continuing connection to land, waters and culture. We pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Hi, I'm Daniel Moore, and you're listening to a Hearing Architecture mini-episode. In this mini-episode, you're going to be hearing from Sarah Lebner. Sarah is the Principal Architect at Lighthouse Architecture and Science, and she recently published a book called 101 Things I Didn't Learn in Architecture School. The book has been a huge success with students, graduates, and practitioners alike as a guide for tips and tricks that seem to come up again and again that few people come across until they're actually working in practice. Here's Sarah and I speaking about her book and the process of putting together an extremely useful reference for architects. All right, Sarah, thank you so much for joining us on the Hearing Architecture podcast. It's really great to have you with us. So for those people who might not know, I mean, it's it's a absolutely wonderful book. So yeah, what drew you to to write this and and what do you think was missing that, so that this book was so relevant during this time? Yeah, thanks for having me, Daniel. Yeah, I think the frustration for me is that the, the process of learning and developing as a young architect really flips on its head when you transition from university study to learning on the job in a workplace. At university, you have this highly effective, broad learning, this rich community setting. And then when you begin working in a workplace, the learning is very submersive, but often very narrow, often slow, frequently quite sheltered in terms of the size of your team or the type of projects you're working on. And there's not really an obvious way to supplement that learning at the moment. I think a lot of young architects are turning to the the media, architecture media, for that learning. And I I saw a a clear opportunity there to provide something more. Um, So I was reading um, the book that we all know, 101 Things I Learned in Architecture School, which is a great book. But as I was contemplating this bigger problem, I thought, Gosh, what would be really handy would be 101 things I didn't learn in architecture school and the things that I really wish I had known when I was starting out my first job. So that's what birthed the book, really. Um, And it is literally that. It's 101 things uh, that I wish I had known. It goes through um, sort of how all the planning regulations work and how a practice works and different things that you often aren't exposed to until you go for registration, how all the sort of sustainability rules and ratings work, and then obviously there's a big section on really basic, um, base industry technical knowledge and construction knowledge as well. Right. So you mentioned that when you graduate, you're really, you've got a really nice, clear path. The My First Architecture Job book, which is also supplemented by the My First Architecture Job blog, I guess in a way kind of acts as like a textbook that you can use and refer to uh, when you're a graduate going through your day-to-day work life. Is that right? Yeah, it's it's meant as a reference, but it was also really important to me. Um, one of the things I struggled with the most in those early years of employment was you get to see how your firm does it and then in the media you get to see sort of these exemplary examples of what other people are doing. But when you've got a, a thirst to solve the big problems of today, climate change, urban sprawl, affordability, 
as so many young architects do, it's really impossible to tackle those problems until you understand basic mechanics of volume building or planning legislation and construction. It's very hard to fully process what you're learning in your practice or about projects you're reading about unless you've got something to compare them to and relate to. Mm. Well, it, it does seem to be a big hurdle when you when you graduate that you might have been looking at amazing precedents and doing a lot of really detailed design work when you're at university, but then when you get thrust into practice, you do have to worry about that nitty-gritty a lot. So architecture media that's out there, the majority of it would be the end result. Does your book try to fill in the gaps that uh, might not have concentrated much on while we were at university? Very much so, and even in practice, because when you come into a practice, you come into an established level of of knowledge um, and approach that has been developed based on someone else's learning and experience. So it's hard to almost leapfrog into that, that approach that they're using. And I think often a lot of architects, even quite experienced architects, may still uh, not fully understand how that relates to the majority of the construction industry. And I think that's something that can be quite hard to learn and understand and, and get gain exposure to. Yeah, and, and as you mentioned, there's around about 101 lessons in your book and even more on the blog that uh, demystify what might be going on in practice. What was one of the biggest things that you struggled with that you knew you had to put into the book? Oh, wow, that's a, that's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there was so many. I mean, there's. Um, I think some of the first ones I wrote down were probably – the lessons that had really stuck out for me that I can clearly remember struggling with early on and there would have been a a range of topics then. So one of my first memories was being asked to update a window in a drawing set and I was keen and ready and willing to do that and I had to move. I sort of had explained to me how the line types work and how I would move it and I said, that's great. And then he said, so you just move the mullion over this way and I said, that's great. What's a mullion? Just this sort of grueling process of, um, yeah, all the little things coming together. So there's a few key lessons that would stand out in there. Mullion's drafting as part of a team, you know, when you're thrown from understanding a program in the sense that you use it at university to suddenly using it in a professional setting. And there'd also be some really um, poignant personal notes in there. Um, One of my favourites is my advice to students and graduates to make the most of being naive. I remember I was always really scared to ask questions, but everyone expects you to ask questions when you're new and fresh. And uh, I almost feel like now is when I can't ask questions because I am meant to know the answer. (laughs) So you can really take advantage of that um, learning when everyone expects you to be learning and embrace it and ask a lot of questions. Yeah. Now that you're the practice principal of Lighthouse, um, what do you find with your the younger people in your practice come back with a lot that seems to be missing that maybe could be included at, at university so that when they got into practice, they could actually bridge that gap? Yeah, I'm, I, I guess there's two parts to that question. Um, one that I'd like to clear up is I didn't write the book as a criticism of university education. I think all of this stuff is really actually important to learn on the job. And I'd hate to see 
something else taken out of university education to be replaced with things that are easily learnt on the job. I think as long as there's a good practice subject in there somewhere where you're getting that introduction, I think that is in some ways quite sufficient. I think one of the things that um, I know I struggled with and I've had my younger team members reflect back to me is that it can just be hard getting a grasp of what's important to capture at certain stages and at certain drawings. And I can remember really struggling with that. So one hand, when you're capturing a, a renovation, you know, a tolerance of 100 mil in a certain area might be okay. Whereas when you're drafting a certain joinery unit that's fitting in between masonry walls, you know, you want to get down to two or three mil. And head around that can be really impossible and make you feel really unsure of yourself. Yeah, you're absolutely right that looking at drawings at different scales and with different tolerances is is a really huge part of the work that architects do. And when a younger architect or student might be trying to educate themselves and maybe working on building technology projects, they go online to try to find details and drawings to learn from. What do you think about learning from the drawings that are online? Because sometimes I feel like students look at a bunch of drawings and some are in metric, some are in imperial, some are correct, some aren't correct, and you get some really strange details being drawn. How do you feel about that balance between web-based learning and then also what you can get from the textbooks out there? Yeah, it's almost impossible to learn construction knowledge online, um, which is very different to, I guess, project inspiration. There's fantastic project inspiration online, but as you said, construction knowledge It varies hugely via country, for starters, but then even within Australia, it varies hugely between climate regions and then even between our different states and territories, plans and legislation. So it's very hard to to learn that construction knowledge unless you are certain that you're referencing a source that is relevant to your context. And I guess another driver, particularly for the construction section of the book, was looking at, okay, what's what's the most common approach to construction, primarily focusing on residential construction um, in Australia. And then there are notes in the book about, well, just be wary that, um, you know, if you're in a very tropical area, this approach might be different. Absolutely. And it seems like the work that you're doing where you've published a book and you've also got a blog, it seems like there's sort of a balance of different media that should be used to then get that message across. And do you think that only one medium isn't really the way that we should go down that? They can all give us something a little bit different. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I don't think we should um, ignore platforms like Instagram in the value that they they can have. You've just got to rethink how you're presenting that information. So no, you're not going to sit down with a full construction manual and absorb it, but perhaps seeing little snippets of ideas and little sketches in a broken down format is how we learn these days and is our best chance to get in front of young architects and help them find that information. Yeah, absolutely. And it seems to be that you have to look at a bunch of different references with a critical eye because I guess sometimes it's a bit of a trap that you might see one detail and think that's the only way it can be done. <laughs> have you exactly. found that in your experience yes. that uh, that there are many ways to skin a cat and it's uh, you have to make sure that you're looking at different things? 
Yeah, and that's, that's certainly something that made me a little bit nervous about putting the book out there because I don't want a young architect to think that the, the one way that I've drawn it is the only way. Um, so, I mean, I did really try to focus on the concepts of what the detail was showing in, in, the, in the summary so that you can, can then interpret that into other situations. But you're, you're absolutely right. It's, it's hard to say, well, hey, this is generally how it's done, but also it's done a lot of other ways. That's a confusing <laughs> and frustrating thing to appreciate. Yeah. Well, have you started to receive some interesting feedback about the book after it was published? Yeah, I was terrified that I'd have all these <laughs> experienced architects saying, oh, well, that's not how it's done or no, that's wrong. Um, but the experience has honestly been the complete opposite. One thing that I did do was starting the, the blog, I guess, while I was writing the book meant I could rip parts of it out and almost sort of sneak a feedback. And I did see, I did get some good comments and ideas from architects just, just through that platform, which then worked their way back into the book. But the feedback from students has been far beyond what I imagined. And it's so just so fulfilling to hear either more experienced graduates saying, gosh, I wish I had this book five years ago, or uh, younger younger artists saying they keep it beside them at work and they reference it constantly, you know, to know that I can relieve a bit of that pain that they might be feeling about feeling like they're constantly asking silly questions. That's just brilliant. Mm. And now that you've put this out there and you've got this whole other side to the way that you work and I guess you see things through the lens of someone who's a publisher and someone who's involved in, in media, how does that influence the way that you're working now? The interesting thing about our practice is that our um, director, Jenny, the building scientist, she also comes from a science communication background. So communication has always been a really big focus of our practice and that's probably uh, also spurred me on a little bit in helping communicate a lot of the ideas and knowledge that we have as architects. Well, I guess now that the book is out there, I mean, does it help you teach some of these things to other people? Yeah, absolutely. And it's really solidified my own knowledge as well. Even though I started off thinking that I knew everything in the book when it comes to the pressure of actually writing it down, knowing other people are going to read it, it's funny how you second-guess yourself. And say that the highest learning something is teaching it to someone else and that has been such an experience through writing this book it's really clarified my knowledge because I haven't just had to have the knowledge of how to draw something but I've had to really understand the concepts of how it works so that I could explain it to someone and that's both solidified learning but also made teaching younger staff members much easier and much more it comes to me more naturally now I think. Mm, well that's fantastic it's a little bit like when uh, you've gone through a, a huge design phase with your design team and then you finally get uh, to meet with the clients to share the design and it seems to be really straightforward with you and other architects and designers but uh, then when you have to explain it to the client then you know you have to kick into a different gear yeah. <laughs> so that they understand all of the all of the thinking behind something mm. yeah or like that process of presenting a project at university and sort of as the words are coming out your mouth you realize something new about your own project it's, it's <laughs> kind of like that <laughs> yes okay so Sarah it seems like you've got 
you know, you've got the book, you've got the blog, and then you've also got this other new program that you're working on. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, uh, it's called The Architect Project, um, and it's really the next step in everything we're doing. It's a sort of like a membership, I guess. So it's um, the big purpose is to bring together Australian students and graduates of architecture to connect them with like-minded peers, exclusive advice and insight and structured challenges so that together we can really bridge that gap between study and practice and so that they can achieve employment promotion or registration sooner and with more confidence and impact. So it's a way, I guess, it's a way of me bringing together a bit of that learning and coaching into a setting that's both time effective for me and cost effective for students and graduates. <laughs> oh, that sounds really great. I mean, I, I know that I wish that I had, yeah, some sort of bridging course between university and work just so that I could make sure that I was contributing to, to my practice as best as I could. So yeah, it sounds really fantastic and I hope that goes well. All right, Sarah, well, thank you so much for being part of the Hearing Architecture podcast um, and we can't wait to see some more of your projects as they are completed. So thank you so much. Uh, thank you for having me and thanks for the great work you do as well. Thanks for listening. This has been a mini episode of Hearing Architecture featuring Sarah Lebner from Lighthouse Architecture and Science and the book 101 Things I Didn't Learn in Architecture School. This episode was coordinated by Imagine Committee member Tanya Banagala. If you'd like to hear more interviews with architects from around Australia, please keep listening to Hearing Architecture on your favourite podcast app. The more support we get from you, the more episodes we get to make. So if you'd like to show your support, please rate, review and subscribe to Hearing Architecture wherever you listen to your podcasts. This is a production by the Australian Institute of Architects, Emerging Architects and Graduates Network in collaboration with Open Creative Studio. The Institute production team was Stacey Rodder, Madeline Jenkins and Claudia McCarthy. Written and directed by Daniel Moore. To learn more about what the Australian Institute of Architects is doing to support architects and the community, please visit architecture.com.au. This content is brought to you by the Australian Institute of Architects, Emerging Architects and Graduates Network in collaboration with Open Creative Studio. This content does not take into account specific circumstances and should not be relied on in that way. This content does not constitute legal, financial, insurance or other types of advice. You should seek independent verification of advice before relying on this content in circumstances where loss or damage may result. The Institute endeavours to publish content that is accurate at the time it is published, but does not accept responsibility for content that may or will become inaccurate over time.